Welcome back to Women in Whitewater, a four-part limited audio series exploring what it's like to be a woman in the professional whitewater industry. My name is Rowan Stewart, and this podcast is the result of my outdoor and experiential education master's thesis research. As a reminder, the purpose of this thesis was to explore how professional women kayakers perform their gender in the leisure spaces surrounding whitewater kayaking. Consequently, I also wanted to examine whether these performances resist, reinforce, or repurpose the status quo. This is episode four, Lessons for the Kayaking Community. I wanted to conclude this series by sharing stories of women in places where they feel empowered. What spaces in the outdoor community do these women want to be in? What recommendations do they have for creating an equitable and inclusive whitewater community? Importantly, however, this episode is not intended to be a tidy conclusion where I tell you the one right way to think about these complex issues. Everything is not all good here, and this episode does not erase any of the problems discussed in episodes two and three. Instead, it is a call and a challenge to the people in the field, an opportunity to center women's voices around ways that the people in these industries can do better. This is not to put a bow on it, but is instead to offer the kayaking community with ideas for moving forward. In this episode, I'll discuss three things. Women-only spaces, spaces where womanhood is acknowledged but not considered unique, and the ways that we discuss risk and fear in whitewater. They've been happening all across the country, but I think most notably um, at the Green River Ladies Takeover. These days are filled with so much more hooting and hollering than I've ever heard on the river. I think there's there's just an energy of paddling with women and paddling on these takeover days that is unmatched. And it's really hard to describe unless you're there and unless you can feel it. That was Rachel describing the women's takeover events. This fondness for women-only paddling events and trips was echoed by others. When there's a big group of women, it's usually awesome. One time we got to the river early and made a pancake breakfast at the takeout. It's the same stoke, but on a lower scale when it's a smaller group. But the takeover, there's a crazy energy. Many women who participate in outdoor recreation prefer to adventure with other women. Many women choose to join all-women trips because these programs better reflected their values, including coming home to nature, being in a trip environment that feels emotionally, spiritually, and physically nurturing, traveling to the wilderness for its own sake, not using it as a means to an end, and generally seeing women's strengths as assets to trips. Studies have shown benefits of participation in these programs, including developing relational bonding, physical confidence and strength, competence, disengagement from traditional gender roles, overcoming fear, and gaining autonomy. These positive benefits are echoed by Denise, who shared one of her favorite kayaking memories with me. She says her most supportive experience was a trip to Africa with six other women. She talked about how it felt to surf big waves and only hear cheers of encouragement from her friends. Every day, we just tried our best to encourage each other to push ourselves and go crazy if someone made it into the wave. Yeah, just celebrate each other. It was just so great and I've never experienced that encouragement and empowerment like it was so unique just being in a group of girls. Many women also spoke about increasing numbers of women in kayaking competitions 
making them more like women-only spaces. It's common for the women's class in a kayaking event to be less than half the size of the men's. Professional whitewater kayaker Natalie Anderson wrote an article titled Turning Competition from Stress to Fun in Whitewater Kayaking that was repeatedly mentioned during my interviews. In it, she says, when you are one of only a few competitors in a race class, you are always competing to win, whether you want to or not. Quite simply, you are either the winner or the loser. If you ain't first, you're last, sometimes literally. I heard this sentiment echoed by a number of the women that I interviewed. I got pretty burnt out on competition. It was frustrating to see my low score on the first page of results. Now I've noticed when the women's class is smaller and like these women are pitted against each other because it's maybe just the two or three of them, it can get a little more competitive. In the next couple of quotes, the abbreviation NFC refers to the North Fork Championships. A series of races that crown the queen and king of the North Fork of the Payette in Idaho. Women are not going to compete if they see that there's two women competing. But if they see that there's like 40 women competing, like at NFC, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And women want to compete because they want to be a part of that group. Once there were more women registered for the North Fork race, it was easier to get even more women interested in competing because we wanted to make it as big as possible. However, I want to highlight that not all women were interested in these women-only spaces. While a few made no comment on these events, one specified that she had never attended the women's takeover at the Green River, even though she was from the area, and that she had even paddled on the same river that day but with her preferred group of men kayakers. She shared experiences of feeling like she didn't fit into these women's groups. I've actually never been to an all-women's group paddle. I feel like I've never been close enough friends with a girl who's going to one of those things to go. I always feel like I compare myself a lot to other women. While she didn't want to attend a women's-only paddle, Caroline did share similar desires to blend in with her paddling group, and not feel targeted by comments that she felt were made just because she was a woman, saying, I just want to blend in. Other women shared this desire to be considered just another kayaker, rather than called out for being a woman kayaker. There's an article written about the word patronizing in women's surfing. The word patronizing can mean both to act as a patron towards, and also to treat in a condescending way. The women surfers interviewed in this article shared stories about being treated differently than men in surfing spaces, and often in ways that were intended to be complementary or beneficial to them. For example, the women shared stories about receiving unwelcome advice or unasked for assistance like a push onto the wave. They found that these forms of covert discipline were, quote, more difficult to negotiate than openly discriminatory behavior. As the author stated, while the advice and support some men gave might be intended as altruistic and caring, from the perspective of women, such actions differentiate them in the water, reinforcing and maintaining their place as women who surf, rather than simply including them as surfers. I've struggled with similar experiences in kayaking settings, where I've often been asked by men if I need help carrying or loading my boat. It feels unfair to be offered this assistance when it wouldn't be offered to a man. One of the women that I interviewed shared that she'd had men offered to outfit kayaks and C1s for her, assistance that she didn't think they would offer to someone else, especially a man. 
One of the women that I interviewed had a man that she paddled with say, He had never met a woman kayaker before who he did not see as a liability on the river. He meant this as a compliment and said he planned to tell his daughters about me and how women can be just as strong of kayakers as men. This comment was intended to be a compliment, a way to tell her that he didn't see her as the typical woman kayaker, but it came out sounding more insulting than complimentary. The last recommendation that I want to share has to do with the attitude towards safety, fear, and risk in whitewater. Many of the women that I spoke with shared that they felt like women and men perceived and valued fear and risk-taking differently. I think kayaking glorifies risk too much, but I also think in life, like, some risk is good, and I think the way that we treat women taking risks is very different than the way we treat men taking risks. And I feel like men are more expected to be strong and just, like, throw caution to the wind. Um, Whereas women, it's like, oh, well, she's a little scared. It's fine because she's a girl. The way that people look at men are like, oh, you're going to run the big stuff. And if you don't, you're a pussy. Whereas if you look at women, I'm not going to expect you to go run that 100-foot waterfall because you're a girl. You're going to get scared. The militaristic origins of outdoor recreation led to an increased value of stereotypically masculine traits like physical strength, toughness, or stoicism. Possibly because of this, Kayaking media typically doesn't show professional men kayakers showing fear before running difficult rapids or sections of river. This leads to a go big or go home attitude that seems to be more prevalent with men in the kayaking community. I was scared of running the Pelican Rapids on the slip, and this guy said, well, being scared of it isn't an excuse. And I was like, well, it's a major class five rapid. It kind of is an excuse, actually. Like, you could die. Women do a really good job of checking in with each other on the river. Like, it looks like you just got a little spun out or something. Are you, you want to take a second to collect yourself? It's no big deal. Like, it's not bringing the attention to anything, but it's just a genuine check-in. And I feel like I try to do that um, with my guy friends as well. And it's just, it's not received in the same way. How would you say it's received then? Oh, just like pushing on downstream. Like, you know, just get over it. I believe that there needs to be more research about possible gender differences in attitudes towards safety, fear, and risk-taking in action sports and adventure recreation, particularly in whitewater kayaking. In my experience, I have seen that women make better decisions and women calculate their risks better. Furthermore, there is a call for more honest media in professional kayaking. If we could get videos where people are running the big stuff, but then have honest interviews about it. If they're able to put real interviews into those videos that were like, honestly, I'm a little nervous. Um, It would make other people be like, oh, it's okay to be scared. How can you go out of your way on the river to deconstruct gender-based assumptions and stereotypes? I want to conclude with one example of the way that Rachel is taking charge of the spaces she spends time in. And so deconstructing to me means like going, going first down a a rapid or really like being vocal in uh, decision-making and safety, because I do have the experience to be there. I do have the skills, um, overhearing dialogue that doesn't recognize women in that light of being equals. uh, And stopping that is like a huge piece for me. Like, I feel like we do work and paddle in a very male-dominated scene. And so just changing the the dialogue, because you don't want people to pick up these habits and keep them forever. We are accountable. We need to hold each other accountable for being inclusive. If you take one thing from listening to this podcast, hopefully it's this. 
The next time you go kayaking, pay close attention. Who is in your kayaking crew? What do you say to each other? And what messages might be hidden in the words that you use? How can you resist or repurpose the gender status quo in whitewater? Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the river.